the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good morning, everybody. Well, good afternoon, I guess. Uh, I, sorry, I had that written in my notes. <laughs> uh, let's start out with a couple of quotes to get, uh, get us uh, started thinking positively. Defeat doesn't finish a person. Quit does. A person is not defeated, is not finished when he's defeated. He's finished when he quits. Liberty means responsibility. That is what most men dread. And boy, I tell you, the liberty, our liberties are being taken advantage of right now as far as I'm concerned. It is a common experience that a problem difficult at night is resolved in the morning after the Committee of Sleep has worked on it. That was John Steinbeck, by the way. Uh, anyway, you know, we, um, if you've listened to Smart Investor Hour at 7 o'clock in the morning for the last couple of years, uh, we're no different, really, in the afternoon. <laughs> we're going to go by the same game plan. And we always talk about our webpage, and the easiest way to get to our webpage is go to WHK1420 AM and just go to the local podcast down to the Smart Investor Tim Hayes, and uh, it goes right to my webpage. So you can just click on there, and there we go. So we have a whole bunch of things that are available to you. Um, and by the way, my webpage has a lot of good things on it. We're, we're talking about interest rates will fluctuate, but we think they're going to stay down for a long time. And as they started to turn back up, this Iraqi thing, uh, I mean, Iran thing showed up, and uh, now people are buying bonds again because they're worried about the stock market. But we have our Market Week, which is a great little newsletter. We send that out, by the way, if you're on my mailing list. If you want to get on that, you just hit the contact me or email me. They're all over the page. And then uh, we have the Daily Technical Analysis, which Bob Dickey puts out every every uh, day. And that's some good stuff on there. Uh, we have some a piece on investment strategy. And we also have a piece on cybersecurity, and, and uh, I think that's very important. If you'd like to get on our, you know, I, I occasionally send out uh, emails, and uh, we, I, we send out regularly uh, a market week wrap-up and a, a monthly newsletter. Our January newsletter uh, talks about sociable, socially responsible investing, aligning your money with your values, and hindsight is twenty twenty. And what are you going to do differently this year? And uh, then it has some key retirement numbers. We're going to talk about uh, retirement numbers coming up here. And, you know, I hate to say this, but I said for three weeks in a row, you should start looking for investments in the oil sector. You know, tensions were building, and I thought something was going to happen. And we have our global energy best ideas. It's probably a pretty good time to be talking about those. I think uh, oil and gas and, and gold uh, may be leaders this year. So uh, that's my, my opinion, nobody else's. We also have our Global Insights, which is our, our 2020 investment stance from RBC. That's really good. Our Global Best Income Ideas. And, and this, we've only had two people send in for this, so I know I got a, a dynamite thing. And that's the Savvy Investor's Credit Workbook. You know, uh, I think, you know, you got to know how to manage, manage your credit. You know, you got to know how event, uh, to evaluate your credit needs. You got to understand what cash flow is, and you got to use it strategically. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, and so we, something happened this week, and um, I think it's important uh, that we we uh, the the Trump administration signed something called the Secure uh, Act provisions, and it uh, it has some good news and it's got some bad news. So uh, first of all, the good news is is that if you're under the age uh, uh, of seventy and a half right now, and uh, you were born before. Uh, what year is it? Uh, mm, I, I can't remember. It's uh, 1949, I believe. Uh, the required minimum distribution now occurs at 72. Okay, so uh, you, you, 
you could not make also contributions to a traditional IRA for the year during which you reach the age 70 and a half or, or any later. There's no age restriction on Roth contributions, by the way, but the new law, uh, tax years beginning for two, after 2019, the SECURE Act repeals the age restriction on contributions to traditional IRAs, too. So that's kind of neat. So you now have not only that going for you, but at age 72, you start looking at the required minimum distributions versus age uh, 70 and a half, which is occurring right now. So now there's some bad news. Well, yeah, th- this is bad news because there was a thing called the stretch IRA. And the stretch IRA, what it did is allow you to, to pass your IRA on to your kids or to whoever and let them stretch the IRA out. Uh, the SECURE Act requires most non-spouse IRA retirement plan beneficiaries to drain inherited accounts within 10 years after the owner's death. So you just can't keep stretching it forever, uh, which is unfortunate. And before the SECURE Act, the required minimum distribution rules uh, allowed you as a non-spouse to gradually drain it, the IRA for as long as you could. Uh, but th- that's not going to happen anymore. So um, I think the estate planning folks, the, the financial planners, are, are <laughs> just about to do a lot of work. Um, so, you know, once again... The SECURE Act, which is uh, now signed in, uh, Mr. Trump signed, signed it in last week, um, says it eliminates the stretch IRA. It, it has the ability for certain part-time workers to participate in retirement savings plans. Change of, uh, of required minimum d- distribution to age 72. And the ability for workers to continue making traditional IRA contributions beyond 70 and a half. I don't know why you would. If, if you're making contributions, you should put them in Ross, is my humble opinion. Uh, additional tax credits for businesses may take uh, may uh, uh, they, they can take for starting a retirement plan. So uh, that, that's some good stuff. Um, look, the occupant of the White House can significantly impact business, even if the president's party lacks control of Congress. Wouldn't it be useful if there were a guideline to forecast the next president of the United States more accurately than simply watching the news polls and perhaps a, a framework? Uh, it is said that people often vote their pocketbooks, and it could be a, um, a driver of the next election campaign's success or failure over the past, uh, you know, couple centuries, actually, <laughs> um, has been disposable income growth. All right. Now, Nixon had huge uh, growth. Uh, Clinton did, too. Reagan did, too. And Johnson did, too. What's interesting is uh, uh, Obama was kind of neutral. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the current one is is like on, on par. So sitting presidents have been reflected by a larger margin when real disposable income per capita was growing more, as evidenced you know, uh, by uh, Ronnie Reagan. Um, today, real disposable per, ap- uh, per capita is growing at approximately 2.4%, but decelerating, unfortunately, making it difficult to predict whether the, president, the current president will be elected. And that's a, that's a problem, I think. Um, also, there's another thing out there called Moore's Law. And Moore's Law states that the speed and the ability of computers doubles every two years as the number of transistors, transistors on a microchip increases. It has been the driving force of the global digital revolution. And now a different version of Moore's Law is set to usher in even a larger, more powerful change in technology and living standards, in my opinion. And, and that is the exponential growth in the training of artificial intelligent programs. The amount of training a, a computer program undergoes drives advanced art, artificial in, in, uh, intelligence. And this training can be thought of as, um, we'll call it computer usage, uh, needed to practice and improve the program skills because they, they, they think, okay? So the chart, um, well, look, if you look at training and uh, over time, the more training, obviously, the, the more speed uh, – That'll occur with Moore's Law. So what you'll find is the speed of training is doubling every three to five months faster than Moore's Law. And to sustain, this greater speed is likely to lead to incredible breakthroughs in the field of AI. Uh, Companies that are are at the forefront of AI services, such as major cloud platforms or the leaders in hardware that drives the cloud technology forward, probably have a very bright future, is what I'm trying to tell you in so many words. Um, So, you know, it's just something to think about. Now, look, every every... You know, I, I didn't do this last week because I had to get my clients in, but I, I have a lot of money in the dogs of the Dow. It's been a great, great uh, uh, strategy for the last decade. 
And they always said man's best friend uh, is a dog, right? <laughs> uh, the dog's a dog can be a very good friend. It's, it's a very popular investment strategy, and everybody knows about it. So you would think, you know, uh, nothing would go right. But look, in 2019, the total return was 18.3%. The beginning yield was 36 so That's a, about 21%. Um, 2018, the total return was negative 1.4%. Remember that the index was down 7 uh, The beginning yield was 3.4%. So, uh, you know, you didn't lose any money is what it came down to. Uh, you, you were up a little bit. 2017, total return was 20, 24.5%. Beginning yield was 33.2%. 2016, 19.6%. 2015, another bad year, 2.7%. 2014, 104 2013, 33.7. So uh, even in 2010, we were up 18%. So um, I know what they are. You've got to figure them out yourself. Um, but the dogs of the Dow just simply states that you, you buy the five highest-yielding stocks in the Dow. Uh, some people buy the 10 just for a little bit more diversification. Uh, I've been doing five and 10 for my clients for a long, long time. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but you still have... You know, probably most of next week, especially if this uh, uh, Iranian thing uh, keeps going on. So, um, you know, I looked at the Nasdaq composite and I mean, it is straight up since October 1st. That was the day we came on the air and said we thought we'd have a melt up. And uh, the index was at eight, four, four, six, oh, and it broke nine thousand. That's a pretty big move in a very short period of time. So the melt-up theory seems to be working. I also noticed that I was looking at our friends Dorsey Wright, who provided us with the bullish percent, as you may recall. Great folks out of Virginia, uh, now owned by the NASDAQ, by the way. And the domestic equity cash uh, percentile rank history, we're getting, we're getting down to uh, some pretty low numbers now. So uh, we're only looking at like 10 12% cash, which is a big positive. So, uh, But with the NASDAQ hitting 9,000, that's, that's the 10th straight closing high on it, by the way, as of last week. And it's a pretty big number, you know? I mean, uh, you, you know, I, I was also looking at the S&P 500, and I man, I looked at the underperformers for the year, and there was quite a few of them. I was surprised. Of the 500, there was over 240 of them. Uh, and, you know, we talked about this, and we'll talk about it at the end of the show, I think, that there was two stocks that dominated the S&P 500 that dominated the Dow, okay? And if you didn't own those two stocks, and I own I don't own them in both everybody's you know account, both of them, but I own at least one of them in everybody's account. But most of the ones that underperformed were in oil. And I've just noticed in the last like six or seven days that a lot of oil stocks are breaking their downtrend line. Now, that downtrend line is just a psychological barrier that people sell uh, from, and it, it holds stock back. And, and I think that's kind of interesting. But you know, on twelve thirty one of two thousand eight, the best groups were utilities, municipal bonds, and uh, municipal bonds, uh, and U.S. government agency bonds. This year, it's technology, aggressive growth, healthcare, Russia, and industrials. Very interesting change. Very interesting change. Uh, just remember, the small cap broke out big. Uh, we'll be right back. This is Smart Investor Show. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And uh, if you'd like to sit down and have a conversation about your portfolio, do a wealth plan, uh, talk about credit, you know, the whole kit and caboodle, uh, you know, go to WHK 1420 AM and you go to local podcast down to Tim Hayes and uh, we sit down and, uh, you know, there's all sorts of contact me, email me there, even my telephone number. I even, I answer the phone. (laughs) It's hard to believe I answer the phone and, um, you know, we'll sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about your portfolio. Uh, it's a good time at the beginning of the year to, to be thinking about that. And I, I think this year's there's a big change coming in and, and nobody's really prepared for it. I've talked about it and I've talked about it and I've talked about it and nobody's really prepared for it. So, you know, I had a, I had some, uh, a couple in this week and, uh, very nice people. And they said, okay, Tim, if you were a really aggressive, where would you be? I, I would be about. domestic equities. I'd be about 10% international equities. I'd be about 10% fixed income, and I'd be about, uh, well, it's about a half a percent cash. Uh, If I was moderately, it'd be about 75% equities. 
I'd be about uh, 20% uh, fixed income, 5% international equities, and a half percent cash. If I was very conservative, I'd be 40% domestic equities, 40% bonds, and 19.5% international equities, and 0.5% in uh, cash. And Look, I, I think that people got to understand this is the problem with cash right now or the problem with bonds is we're at an all-time low in yield. And, you know, whenever you're at an all-time low, uh, especially as low as we are, I mean, we're talking about 1.8%, um, you know, the chances of interest rates going up, especially with monetary policy as loose as this, are probably pretty good. Now, look, some people ask me, I I. I said that I thought the dollar would strengthen a little bit, that, you know, we'd have a, you know, you could buy gold, but I thought the dollar would strengthen a little bit. And I think this Iranian thing is, is the cause of it. You know, I, I said this last week, so I didn't know about Iran this week. Uh, but look, I, I think that commodity prices may be bottoming, uh, which could lead to a better 2020 uh, for the first time in, in years. And, and part of that analysis, however, was based on the expectation of a lower dollar. Now, I don't think it's going to zero, okay? And I don't think it's going to get, you know, killed or anything like that. A falling dollar is usually necessary for commodity markets to move higher. And look, we, we have a president that wants a lower dollar. Uh, you know, we're doing some things that could cause a lower dollar, you know, that type of thing. But over the last several years, the spread between the higher yielding treasury and the lower uh, foreign bond yield supported a higher dollar. That spread was caused mainly by a more hawkish Fed, which raised interest rates. That's gone. The Fed's a dove now, okay? So they've taken a very dovish stance. So it'll be interesting to see if they start to, you know, get rid of, uh, you know, our bonds to buy their own. And if they do, all right, the dollar will weaken. So um, if if that happens, then I think, you know, what I've, I, I've been talking about oil, gold. Uh, I've been talking about lumber and copper, okay? There we go. And small caps, by the way, are, are really good in a, in a situation where uh, the dollar's dropping. But I think uh, 2019 was a year filled with distractions. You know, I mean, we had all sorts of the tariffs. Uh, you know, we had uh, a peak back in, in June of the tariff Google trends, and the, and then we had a breakout to a new high. Then we, we rose above our 200-day moving average for the first time. We had yield curve inversion. Um, you know, we were up 17.7% in the first four months. And, we, and by the way, we didn't, we didn't pass – the old high from the year before. Okay. So we just, we just barely did that uh, in June. So the thing is, is I think there's a big change coming. And um, I, I think people like, I think there's going to be an uh, inflation scare. This is Tim Hayes talking, not RBC now. Okay. And the inflation scare, when there's inflation, PE ratios go down. And that's what technologies, what we're seeing in technology was an expansion of price earnings ratios. Price earnings ratios are simply, the price of the stock divided by the earnings. You get a $20 stock. It's got $2 in earnings. It's 10 times earnings. A lot of the technology stocks are 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 times earnings. I don't think that's going to last if there's an station scare. So, look, um, <sighs> the equities really soared through the holidays, and it kicked off a big rally and a big Santa Claus rally. We've been talking about it for some time. Uh, one of the commodities that really looks nice is gold and I and gold and silver. Silver actually looks better than gold right at the moment. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, just how long that lasts. There's another sector that uh, I think is poised to outperform. You know, I was reading Decision Point Indicators, which uh, Decision Point's Aaron Swellen, and he, he's been around for a long, long time. He's one of the best. And he, uh, I like when people agree with me. <laughs> so he agrees with me. But, you know, he's, he's still bullish on the XLK, although I think that, you know, like I said, if, if, if inflation, and I don't think it's going to, I think it's a scare, not inflation. Okay. So let me say that again. But if that, if that, uh, you know, that could hurt the technology. So you could see some more money coming around, but I was looking at consumer discretionary and that's kind of, you know, a, a, a trader's word for retail. And uh, so retail looks, I mean, that's a great looking chart. Uh, you know, the X, uh, the XLK, which is technology is pretty extended right now. So you want to be a little bit more careful with that, but the, the retail uh, charts look really, really good. So, um, so somebody asked me for a forecast, and uh, I think it's the type of forecast where, you know, it's going to be different. I think the S&P 
is not going to rise a lot. I think there's going to be sectors that you do extremely well in, small caps, oil, uh, commodities, gold, you know, things like that. And I, um, I don't think, I, I think healthcare, by the way, healthcare is still way too low. Uh, all those things could be very, very interesting, um, especially uh, given what we're, we're seeing out there. Uh, you know, these, a lot of these groups are, have been down in, and out for a long, long time. Okay, so remember, you know, you, you want to pay attention to what's going on. Uh, the market could still go up and there can be some wild swings. Now, a lot of the groups I'm talking about have been down for a long, long time. And I don't think it's just going to be a short-term move. I don't think it's a two-week move or a four-week move or an eight-week move. I think these things could go up for a while. Remember, commodities, if you've ever sat down and talked to me and you've seen me, or or if you saw Bob Dickey last spring, you know, he showed you the commodity uh, charts. And what his point was, when commodities go down, price, I mean, stock market goes up. But commodities are, the Commodity Research Bureau Index is where it was in 1973. You know how long ago that was? I was, I was still in high school. Okay? So that, that's a long time. You know, I, I just getting into high school. Okay, that's a long, long time ago. So just remember that when when thinking about how low we are in commodity prices. So if you're complaining about things being too expensive, just remember that, okay? You know, natural gas is at the lowest it's been in fifty two years. Cotton is at a price I, I tell the people about cotton shirts. I used to buy them from somebody and and they're they're now twenty five dollars cheaper than they were 25 years ago when I bought them. Okay? So things are cheap. And that's something you got to understand. Milk and eggs are the same price they were in 1970. All right? So think about that. So, look, everybody's got a fear of heights right now. And I said we'd probably correct. It started a little bit earlier than I thought it was, going to be honest with you. But, look, we still have this four-year cycle. And I, I think the underpinnings are very strong. And I think you got to pay attention to that. And, the look, the... As long as the 10-year Treasury yields are down, and I think they're going to stay down probably into the low, you know, the mid-2020s, okay? And then they'll start to go sideways, and then uh, things will get interesting after that. But, uh, you know, we have this 17-year cycle in equities, 17 years up, 17 years down. Now, it's not perfectly. It doesn't go straight up. You know, you get get your washouts occasionally. But for the generally for the 17-year period, it started in 2016, in my opinion. Now, if you ask Bob Dickey, our head technician, he says it's 2013. So it'll be a very interesting time. But it, we remain bullish in that four-year cycle. And I think what's impressive is is that, that bonds had outperformed stocks this, earlier in this year. Now stocks are starting to outperform. And we still have this, you know, the Citigroup economic surprise is, is not where it peaks normally. And, and the bear, bullish bearish sentiment on the AAII poll is still not where it peaks. So I think the interesting thing is that if we were to break 1750 on the Russell 2000, I think the Russell will lead. And I think it'll be led by stuff in the oil and the biotech area and the gold area because there's a lot of them in that that, uh, group. So there's a lot of real estate investment trusts. By the way, they've beaten those up pretty nicely too. Buy yield when it's down, okay? Buy yield yield when it's up, when the price of of the outfit is down. REITs are getting beat up. Maybe the yields are up. Huh. That's what the prime income list is all about, folks. So give me a call on that. Uh, that's 888-223-7742. I believe the yield right now is 4.25%. Remember, dividends, you get you get taxed at 15%, not real income. I am seeing some moves in the, in the overall uh, uh, emerging markets, not so much as developed markets. I'll leave it at that. And it looks like the TLT is going to, you know, may break to the upside. Remember, I said it was in a triangle pattern. And the dollar, you know, I said the dollar would probably rally and then come back down. And uh, we did have a big rally on Friday due to the Iranian information. I think that will probably uh, cause that little rally I'm thinking of. But I think overall, if we get uh, a lot of the foreign uh, entities out there who had bought U.S. bonds starting to sell them, uh, because their businesses are starting to pick up, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you could have the dollar sell off for a period of time. That would help uh, crude futures, which were up big Friday, uh, not as big as a lot of people thought they were. 
And then gold, you know, gold broke its downtrend line in this little short-term correction we've been in. I, um, I think gold's, I think gold's going up for a while. And, um, you know, I, I did read our stuff on, on the junior gold in stocks and the, and the major gold stocks and our guy's pretty good. I mean, he's, he's, I think he's in the top three, uh, in the institutional all-star poll. And he basically, I mean, I'm reading between the lines a little bit here, but I think he thinks that gold stocks are cheaper than gold in a big way. And, uh, I'll leave it at that. Now, I was worried about copper. Copper came right to its uptrend line, and it stopped and reversed up. Uh, that's good. The financials are uh, look great. The bank index looks better. Utilities look like they're stalling. Same with staples, so I'd be careful there. Uh, technology continues to lead, but um, like I said, if there's an inflation scare, you know they have high PEs. Same with software. You, you want to be careful. Now, semiconductors do not have high PEs, and they still look like they're going to lead the way. The industrial sector looks great. Uh, especially the equal weight industrial sector. So those some areas that I'd be paying attention to uh, in the new year. Um, like I said, if it, you know, one of the things I'd be looking for right now is is ideas in the oil area, uh, and I'd be shining up my ideas in gold. Hey, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Uh, this is Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. You know, we always talk about the, the bullish percent, and uh, the bullish percent has, has been around for a long, long time. And it, it was designed by, uh, designed by a protege of Charles Dow, and he just wanted to be bullish when everybody else was bearish, be bearish when everybody else was bullish. And, um, you know, I had mentioned that we were 100% overbought and uh, that I thought, we'd, you know, you had to uh, pay attention to that because um, literally – you know, I just don't think the Dow and the XLG or the QQQs, these are all ETFs, by the way, exchange-traded funds. These are mini mutual funds that trade on the exchanges. Actually, they're not so mini now. They're, they're pretty big. But the QQQs are the NASDAQ composite. I mean, it went straight from 840 to 9,000. That's a huge move. That's a huge move since October 1st. That's, that's when, you know, we were coming on the show here saying we have a melt-up. We said it. Uh, if you don't believe it, go to WHK fourteen twenty AM. Go to local podcasts. Go down to Tim Hayes. They have they have it on the show. Okay, so you just listen to the podcast, and I was talking about a melt up two two week, two and a weeks in a row, and that's not RBC. That's Tim Hayes saying that. Okay, um, and you know it it was a melt up, and I think the Dow, you know, uh, the Dow's up eleven percent, and the S P five hundred's up twelve. And I don't, know what, I don't know what that is on the QQQs, but I think it's like 18 19%. That's a big move. So you can listen to it if you don't believe me. Because they have, look, if you, if you don't believe anything I say, go back, listen to a year worth of shows. You know, <laughs> if you need to sleep, go ahead. Uh, but they have them all on there. And if you want to have a, by the way, after you listen to those and you want to have a conversation with me uh, and sit down and have some coffee, uh, my number is 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or just hit the contact me or email me here on that, okay? Now, we talk about uh, the bullish percent. It's just a chart goes from 0 to 100. It's point and figure charts. And uh, column of O's means we have a distribution period. Column of X's means we have the offensive team on the field. And there's other stuff that goes with it, like we vote uh, what the relative strength votes, I should say that domestic equities are number one in their asset class, like they are right now. Back in 2007 and eight, they were, they were at the end of the totem pole, okay? They were the lowest form of life in, in the Dorsey Wright system, and our friends from Dorsey Wright do provide us with this. And, uh, but it, it's a risk monitor system, so when we get below 30, that's when everybody, does, they don't open their 401k statement, they're depressed. And when you get above 70, that's when they're, you know, they're, they're introducing me at parties as I walk in the door and, you know, uh, you know, that type of thing. The point is, is when we get over 70, that's when you should be scared. When we get under 30, that's when you should be greedy. All right. Simple as that. Uh, now, we were at 56 uh, last week and I said, you know, we we're 100 percent overbought. So I thought we'd have some, you know, digestive pains, shall we say. And we, we are. And I think uh, but we still have domestic equities as number one asset class. Internationally, equities are number two, but we actually uh, 
we we were at fifty eight percent. I'm sorry. Uh, so right now we're back to fifty six point nine percent. The small cap indicators were were at forty nine point seven percent, and they they didn't fall very much forty nine point two. And then the world index was at forty six, and they they only felt a half a percentage point to forty five point eight. So, um, and look, I just think. When you have the S and P five hundred overbought as much as it was, it was it was ninety nine percent of the trading band to the high side, so it's going to correct. Don't get too bearish, okay? The indicators will tell us if we should get bearish, and I don't think we're we need to get bearish right now. And what I mean by that is the weekly distribution wasn't way up at like sixty or seventy where it usually is when we have problems. It was at twenty six. So I don't think, you know, things, I think there may be a change in leadership coming, and, and that's, that's something that could rock the boat a little bit. As of now, technology, industrials, and financials are the top. I did notice healthcare moved from the dead last all the way up to uh, number seven, number six, I'm sorry, uh, and utilities are fa- falling fast, and real estate fell from a top group just a year ago to uh, the bottom four. So when real estate, a real estate investment trust, is a yield-oriented device, you buy yield when it's up. You might be want to be looking through the trash bin for your real estate investment trust that got beaten up a little bit. Energy and base materials are dead last, but there could be a big change there. Okay, if 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 what I think is right, you know, and I think commodities may lead the way this year, uh, things could get interesting. So. Um, Look, if there is an inflation scare, like I'm thinking, um, or people feel more firm about, you know, because we've been very tight monetary policy for a long, long time. And before that, we had a financial crisis. And during the financial crisis, who needs copper? (laughs) Who needs oil? Okay, nobody's demanding anything at that point. So um, but most of the indexes look good. They've had negative momentum for several weeks, uh, which I think is, uh, you know, atypical of a, uh, you know, period where. You're, the market keeps going up, but you've got to be a little bit careful. Now, I would say on the overbought scale, the XLG, the S&P 500, and the QQQs, the XLG is actually above 100%. At, at 99, uh, 97 to 100 are, is the, real, is the um, S&P 500 equal weight index. That's where each stock gets one vote. The Frontier Index, the QQQs, and the S&P 500. And then right below it, uh, in the 60 range, is the Dow. <coughs> the mid caps and the small caps. And then, <coughs> sorry, folks, I've been coughing for two months now, um, is the EEM and the EFA. So they're only 40%. So they're not really that overbought. And I think uh, they have the least amount of risk in them too, by the way. So I, um, you just got to remember, when you're, when you're that far overbought, you're going to come back, to, you're going to regress back to the mean. And you better, if you don't understand that concept, you shouldn't be doing your own work. <laughs> so uh, the weekly distribution is, is not, you know, in the 30s or 40s where it usually peaks. It did break a double top at 12. Uh, remember, if it, it can get as negative, I mean, as negative back in 2019, uh, at the end of 2019, negative 64. Usually times when you, you want to get really bullish. Uh, so we're not either bullish or bearish. It's not anything you want to be jumping up and down uh, about. We're once again we're at seventeen favored sectors. Remember, we just talk about the favored sectors because usually the worst stock in a favored sector will outperform the best stock in an unfavored sector it, most of the time, ninety uh, percent anyway. But uh, gaming uh, is still up there at seventy five percent. You know, a lot of the the Macau stocks are just surging forward. Um, they they've been thrown out. Uh, when Las Vegas Sands, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, MGM, they, uh, they've all been getting beat up, and now they're surging forward. Uh, they're, they're great long-term holds. Although, uh, you know, I did sell some at one eighty-six or something like that on wind, and uh, 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 that was my majority holding, uh, and then came back in around one hundred and two. Uh, but in in the seven, uh, well, sixty-eight now is building machinery and semiconductor. Uh, semiconductor is actually seventy-two percent. Uh, so the, these are ones you want to wait on, okay? Um, steel and electric utilities are 65. Oh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Electric utilities are 64. Steel's is 65. Um, electric utilities, I think there's going to come a time when the yield holds them up. Uh, forest and paper products are at 60. Remember we talked about lumber? 
looking really good. Uh, at 54, now uh, down a couple, are waste management, computers, and electronic products. And then at 48 are transportation, leisure, real estate, and health care. Real estate pulling back. You know, they're, what they're saying is it's still favored, and it's pulling back. So you buy yield when it's up, okay? And then uh, in, in the 44 area are biotech and, and restaurants, and then uh, housing's at 38. So all these have pulled back a couple. It's the same group. Uh, so, you know, anything under 50, the healthcare, real estate, leisure, uh, transportation, biotech, uh, restaurants, and housing are a place you want to pay attention. Now, oil and oil service are not favored, but they're below 30 right now. Hmm. And we have a major problem in Iran. Hmm. Um, might be time to be looking up your, uh, you know, polishing up your ideas on gold and looking, uh, looking for information on RBC's best ideas in the oil class, right? Uh, anyway, we had, you know, healthcare, internet, uh, leisure, media, uh, metals, non-ferrous, uh, oil services and bull alert status and precious metals. They're all bull confirmed, but they're not favored yet. So you want to see those turn back up and that would be great. Um, you know, I didn't have any sectors move this week to either unfavored or favored status. So that's kind of interesting. I, I still look at the, um, the international group and, um, India it picked up some more ground this week. And we, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago and seems to be picking up some, uh, some good things, you know, uh, or some good things happening, I should say. And, uh, so, it's been the bigger names in India, but they did break their downtrend line, which is uh, very positive. I'm also seeing some things like uh, in Colombia, you know, so it's emerging markets, uh, but it's it's France, it's the EEM, it's a lot of stuff that uh, normally we don't, you know, talk about. But remember, the top holdings back in 2018 were utilities, municipal bonds, U.S. government uh, agencies, and ge- general mortgage. Now it's Russia, U.S. MedCap. Technology, U.S. growth, uh, aggressive growth, big change. The top 20s uh, through 680, uh, 628 of 2019 were Russia, mid-cap technology, U.S. large cap, and aggressive growth. The top 25 uh, or the, the top ones through the end of the year were technology, Russia, aggressive growth, industrials, healthcare, uh, large cap growth and mid cap growth and biotechnology, which was dead last, by the way, uh, at the beginning of last year. So we're seeing a big change. All right. I'm, I'm interested to see if we get a bigger change, if technology is falling off its, its mantle sometime in the near future. That'd be interesting. But once again, uh, the dollar is, is very oversold. So I think there's going to be a bounce. And then I think, you know, things are going to get interesting. The 10-year Treasury uh, reversed up and broke a double top at 195, and then uh, it's very close to breaking a double bottom now. So, you know, interesting stuff for happened. You know, uh, oil's been positive now for uh, nine weeks, 10 weeks, I'm sorry, and gold's been positive for three weeks. That's very positive. Copper, five weeks, and corn, two weeks. Um, what's interesting is a lot of the energy stocks are now starting to break their downtrend line. So uh, very, very interesting time. Now, look, I want to say this again so people understand. Relative strength. When the relative strength stocks, what we call the relative strength spread, uh, when the relative strength stocks are going up, that spread increases. But what we're seeing is the spread has increased over the last three years. However, since August of 2019, the spread has declined. And so what we're seeing is the laggards outperform. Now, in the emerging markets, the relative strength is performing. Okay, the domestic markets is not that way. So just something to think about. Hey, let's hey, we'll be back with insiders. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. Just tuned in. This is Smart Investor Show. And uh, once again, if you want to listen to any of our past shows or get in touch with me via, you know, uh, the Internet or send me an email or my phone number, whatever, WHK1420 AM, go to local podcast down to Tim Hayes. By the way, you can listen to all my shows as long as you want. I mean, <laughs> if you're an insomniac, you want to go to that page pretty regularly because that'll put you to bed. 
listening to more of two shows of mine, you know, I talk fast, so that's the only thing keep you up. So don't drink coffee before you do it. Um, anyway, uh, WHK fourteen twenty AM uh, directly down to uh, local podcasts. It goes directly to my web page, by the way, and you can you know look at my web page or send me an email that way or see my phone number. Uh, and I'll say this again: this is the third week in a row this has happened. The adjusted ratio for last week. Oh, the sell-buy ratio, I should say. The insider-sell-buy ratio is calculated by dividing the total insider sales at a given week by the total insider purchases. That It was 36.2%. It's now 37.1%. Uh, we stood at a low the week prior to Christmas at 25.4%. That means the insiders are picking up on the sell side. Okay? So, remember, they've been buying basically all year. Okay? So, that tells me something, all right? So we had some insider buys. UBS, um, which is a foreign financial company uh, based out of Switzerland, a 10% holder, UBS, bought $1.3 million worth. I think it was for the uh, stock plan. And uh, I noticed this is a little little stock that for all you guys like to uh, you know roll the dice. Morgan Stanley report, reported a passive stake of 5.9% in Trillium Therapeutics. It's less than two bucks, folks. So it's, you know, you're on your own. And um, also, uh, Regulus Therapeutics, um, New Enterprise bought 9 million shares, uh, New Enterprise Limited, that's a, a, a money manager, and Paul Walker, who is a 10% owner, bought 9 million shares, and 13 others bought big. That's a little $2 stock, too. Um, here's an interesting one, Voya Prime Rate Trust. There's a 10% owner that bought another $1.78 million worth, and they pretty much bought uh, quite a bit. Looks like a little bit of a head and shoulders, too. So I, I don't know, maybe a, maybe a positive uh, reverse head and shoulders, I should say. So you got to do your own homework on those. Uh, here's one that uh, came public a while ago and, and, and went, went up nicely and then got beat up just as recently. And on the beat up, uh, Atlas Fundamental Advisors bought a uh, million dollars worth and then came back and bought another $225,000 worth. And that's Advanced Emission Systems. And uh, here's another one for, it looks like the, the, the guys are rolling the dice on the small cap names. U.S. Well Services, which is industrial goods. Uh, David Martins, his director, bought $1.2 million, below a buck, so be careful. Um, and here's one that uh, uh, the insiders bought a lot of stock about a year ago at a dollar. And as Research Frontiers, the stock went to five and is now at $3.10. And uh, the Vice President, Head of Technology, he bought 35,000 shares. And 20 other people, including the CFO and the CEO, bought between 20 and, I'm sorry, eight other people bought between 20 and 35,000 shares. And here's the name that's down and out, Vera Bradley. Um, two directors, uh, their husband and wife team, Patricia Miller and Michael Miller, uh, they bought about uh, $10 million each. Uh, if you know anything about Vera Bradley, it was a very hot stock, went up to the 60s. Now 11, I think it hit a low of uh, $8, somewhere around there. And then uh, Kane Anderson, Master Limited Partnership, Midstream Investment Company. Um, Jim Baker, former uh, uh, cabinet member of the Reagan administration, bought $708,000 worth. And the reason that's interesting is the first buy in a long, long time. And he is the uh, CEO and chairman. Um, Also, BioChrist Pharmaceuticals, we had... Uh, this is interesting because St- Steve Cohen, first of all, the Baker brothers own a ton of this. It had something go wrong a while back. I can't remember what it was, but it was a $6 stock. It's now a $3.5 stock. The Baker brothers still own theirs. Steve Cohen from SAC Capital, who has <laughs> he has a passive stake now, 6.1%. The SEC investigated him thoroughly, and uh, I, I, I believe he is no longer a hedge fund uh, because of that. But uh, we had uh, Meg Sininsky, who's the chief business officer, buy 240000 The CEO bought, uh, he, he owns a ton of it, but uh, 127000 and $165,000. Uh, an, um, chief science officer bought 190000 VP and director bought two hundred twenty-five, and the CMO bought 126000 So uh, a lot of people buying this little uh, biochrist company, small company. Uh, also, uh, Severa which is in the biotech world, too, I think. Uh, we had the CFO buy 200,000 shares, the CEO buy 200. Six others bought at least uh, 12,000. 
And uh, by the way, there was some news on it this week, so be careful there. And then uh, the Jayco Jakakian Trust bought 200000 So uh, quite a few buyers there, you know, multiple buyers is what we like to see. Now, look, I, I mentioned something, you know, about market cap. And, and look, I, I want you to understand this, and I think it's very, very important that you do understand it. If you look at the S&P 500, it is a market capitalization weighted index. And right now, Apple is 4.42% of that index. The highest it's ever been. Microsoft is 3.14 of that index. The bottom 100 is 4.2% of that index. So two stocks have a bigger capitalization than the bottom 100. And the other 88 point or 87.4% is the, is the rest of the S&P 500. That's all I'll say. I mean, I just want you to know that. So, look, I think we have, um, you know, like the short-term daily market swings are often caused by news. And uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Bob Dickey was saying it, I was saying it, Dorsey Wright was saying it. We were 100% overbought, and we are, and we're a little bit, we're almost a little bit parabolic on a short-term basis. But so what? What's going to happen over the next month? Maybe two months? It could be three. I don't know. You know, it, 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 corrections take their time, and they're either time corrections, meaning we go sideways or we go down. Uh, is we're gonna we're gonna have this overbought scenario be taken care of one way or another? Okay, and you'll hear all sorts of news. And it'll drive you crazy, and you'll want to jump off a cliff and a whole bunch of other things. Don't. Because what drives stocks in the longer term is earnings. And that drives the more meaningful trends. So when there's an event and it causes some short-term volatility that questions, makes a much bigger difference in, in whether news will affect earnings over the long term. Everybody's talking about earnings being affected by the price of oil. There's a lot of oil out there. There's a lot of oil. Now, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> what happens if Iran starts a war? I mean, they kind of, they've, they've been pushing, they've been pushing Trump now for about two months. And he, he made them pay. All right. Now, what if they, you know, there's a war over there. What if America's the only place that can ship oil or South America? You know what that's going to do to the oil patch? Whew. Believe me, they've been, all they've been doing for, for a long, long time now is managing their cash flow. That's all our analysts have been talking about, managing their cash flow. And he, he's highlighted the companies that manage their cash flow. Might be a good time to get the global best energy ideas from us. But look, uh, we've seen kind of a parabolic rally here, okay? So we've got to go at least go sideways for a while, right? And, and I'm going back to 2017, and 2017 was a little bit more parabolic going into 2018. We're not that way right now, but we're a little bit parabolic. So, look, I, if I'm looking at things short-term, I'm just going to use Bob Dickey's work if I can, if that's right with you guys. He's bullish, but we're extended. Intermediate term, he's bullish. Long-term, he's very bullish. Okay? And I think that sums it up. So, I mean, we have very bullish overtones, uh, but like I said, I'm, I'm starting to see that, the, the feds stopped. They want to get inflation. There is none. I.e., this commodity research bureau is back to where it was in 1973. Okay? I've got the chart. You want to come look at it? Call me. 888-223-7742. 888-223-7742. So, look, uh, in, the, in the Sprout News last week, the Sprout Newsletter, they said Stanley Druckenmiller was bullish on copper. Gunlick said, said it was time to uh, play defense and bonds. I don't think that's the case. I mean, if we do have a thing scenario here, they're going to go to bonds. But I will tell you, gold looks awfully good. And gold had been pulling back, pulling back, and then it turned. And I think you, you really want to polish up on your gold ideas. I mean, I've got a whole bunch of them. Uh, I've got two of my, my favorites, and I think they'll continue to be well. Uh, uh, you know, they'll, they'll do well is what I'm trying to say. So, look, gold has just started to go into institutional portfolios just in the last two months, three months. This is one of the it's one of the lowest ownership of gold by institutions ever. And I think you got to think about that for a while. You know, when gold uh, is not owned by the institutions, pay attention. That's that's when that's why I think it's going to be 
more than just a two-week phenomena. So what would I do? A dividend growth portfolio, as we sell off, would be a great place to be. The prime income list for you, those of you are retired, you know, it's yielding 4.25%. And right now, it has some REITs in it. Right now is a good buy, time to buy those REITs, I think. You know, it, they've been sold off, and they're still favored sector. I think the global best energy ideas right now was uh, is a phenomenal thing. I would also take a look at RBC has been pretty good about predicting the future, and there, there are 2019 ideas. I mean, we were, we were spot on. So why not uh, get our global insight for 2020 investment stance? What a great idea. And then our global best ener- ener- uh, income ideas, those are – there's – Lots of great names there. And look, for those of you who uh, need credit or those of you who have a lot of money and, and don't need credit right now, there are times when you need credit. Get the Savvy Investors Credit Workbook and see how you can, you can do it. I mean, believe me, I, I've been setting more and more of my customers up with a credit line, and almost 90% of them are not, 95% of them are not using it. I got like two or three people that are actually using it, and they needed to. They, they were buying a house or they're buying a vacation home and they want to sell their other vacation home, you know, that type of thing. So you don't need credit until you need it, and then it's too late. <laughs> so the credit, uh, the Savvy Investor's Credit Workbook is a good idea. In the meantime, um, look, I think we're, we're overbought. I think what I'd be looking at is things that are underbought, okay? And I think that's, I think that's the oil stocks, the global best oil stocks, the gold stocks. Um, you know, the... the Nobody's talking about commodities, really. I, I bet you they lead the way this year. I mean, that's that's Tim's bet. In the meantime, uh, you know, go to WHK fourteen twenty AM local podcast down to Tim Hayes. You can you can see all the podcasts. You can, you can see if I know what I'm talking about. Uh, in the meantime, uh, if you need any stuff there, it's email me, contact me. Have a great weekend. This is Tim Hayes, the uh, Smart Investor Show. Remember, buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll free. 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.